不是。又是啊。We resume our series on how the church is to be healthy. You guys seem awful healthy today, right? Yeah, we took our breath. Did you use your breath on singing, right? And 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 you still have it there. All right, that's pretty healthy. Chapter two of Titus instructs all the people of the church on how their character is to be.、Uh, a character of the individuals is going to reflect on how the character of the church is and how healthy it is. And our character is seen by our actions and our attitudes, and it's how the whole church is seen by others, not only other believers, but especially on the outside, unbelievers. So this section started、uh, in chapter two, verse one, with the elders.、Uh, before that, in chapter one, it was the elders, and then the elders are to speak things that are fitting for sound doctrine, and that leads into practicality. So there's where it starts. That's the very foundation. That's the very bottom line. There,、um, it's what everything else is built on. It's the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. That is the focus of uh, what uh, we want to do. Next, then after the elders were the older men, and the older men are to live lives that would be examples to the younger men. Of course, everybody else in the church. Very important role that they play, and so they are encouragers, encouragers to、uh, other people, and showing how exemplary their life is to be. Then we looked at older women, and we saw how their lives are to be, and we also see that they are to instruct the younger women on how to live a godly life, and so they're to be examples to them. Then, as the younger women put on these qualities. That、uh, they learn through God's word, and then through others,、uh, we notice that they put this on display in their lives by how they love their husbands, by how they love their children,、uh, doing their duties at home. That leaves us with one other group, and that group is the younger men. So we haven't covered the younger men yet, and we'll get to, to that today. Now, character. We see really matters, and that's what you see here listed in all of these. It's very important to the church. So, all of the congregation really is going to reflect who Christ is outside the church by what you believe, and then putting it into action. So, we're to let our lights shine before men, right? As it says in the Sermon on the Mount, in a way that they may see your good works and glorify God. And so the Father who is working in us is to be glorified. The Father in heaven is to be glorified by our lives. And we see in verse ten of chapter two, which is the very last verse that we'll get to today, Lord willing, He says in the last phrase that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Adorning the doctrine of God. So we're talking about teaching. The Word of God, and then adorning that, and that's what we see here. We're, we're talking about、uh, being able to evangelize the world with、uh, our holiness, our godliness, the very virtues that we see here, the righteousness of Christ, and all those things are very important because they show a transformed life. And I can't think of anything more powerful than a new life. A life that has been transformed from the old sinful life to now、uh, a new life.、Um, I think that's the proof test of a Christian, 
Has our life really changed? We can profess to be a Christian, but do our lives change? And of course, we look at these qualities here and we see that those are good tests there. Uh, so as we continue on with this series about the health of the church, we see that we are to make an impact on all those around us and we're on a team. And we can be a very effective team and touch the world if we have sound doctrine and then we desire to live according to that doctrine and put that on display for people who are around us. The ones who are lost and uh, those people are in the need of a Savior. That's the most important thing that uh, they can have and the most important thing that we can offer. So, as we talk about young men today, it's going to be for all of us, just like we've talked about when we said older men or elders or uh, older women, younger women, we said all these qualities are really for all of us and this is how the church is to be healthy. So, we turn to the younger men even though we're covering all ages and genders. So young men, get ready. Get ready, young men. You are about to be addressed. You know who you are. But all the rest of you, do not tune out because this message is to you too. Uh, Especially for the younger, but uh, for all of us, it certainly is. It was just not for that particular group whenever he wrote these things. Because we want to pay attention so that we can be edified. You can say, well, I already had my turn. And you have another turn here. Matter of fact, um, we want to see that we're edified and and, um, to help the whole church be edified. Now, to bring this into context, Titus is the pastor, elder, bishop in Crete for all the churches in Crete. They haven't picked out all the elders yet, and so there he is. Paul is writing to this young pastor. Might be in his 30s. He's going to every church, picking the elders, and then he's to show them the level of virtue that they must have. Because if we don't have those virtues, how can we make the gospel believable? So Titus has to have that example. And as he passes it on to other, let's say, the younger men in the church, they're going to be examples to others in the church there and the culture that surrounds them. So to make that gospel believable that we talk about, we have to be able to live it. So Titus speaks here to the younger men and he identifies with them because he is that too. So as we we will look at verse 6, and all of a sudden in verse 7, it looks like it changes a little bit and goes right back to Titus again. But we'll explain that. It shows that he's still staying in the context of the younger men. But Titus is one of those. And first of all, it's, it's going to start with him. He has to be the example, doesn't he? And as they follow the example, they too will um, show the effect of Christ in their lives. So why don't we stand just for a moment and read chapter 2, starting at verse 6 and through 10, as our text today. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us, 
Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Word. And as we look at these qualities of a Christian, actually, especially pointed to the younger men, but it's for all of us, that we would adorn the doctrine of God and being examples as we wear the person of Christ on us with His light. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay, verse 6. Likewise, so as he's already talked to the other groups now, he gets to the final group and we'll be going to a different topic next week and it'll probably be dealing with Christmas. Possibly. Verse 6 starts with an exhortation. Likewise, urge the young men. Paul is exhorting Titus to urge or encourage to exhort the young men. So you have an encouragement from Paul to Titus who in turn takes it to uh, those men. It means to come alongside. Urge. Come alongside. Exhort. Take up personal leadership and take care over those young men. And so that's the way it should be. Now, our question is, is how old is young? Or maybe better yet, how young is young? What do we mean? Old and young. Some of you could uh, could be 70 and still feel young. And that's to you. Um, but you might be... You might be 15. 18, 20, 30, 40, 50. Getting close to 60. 60... I think that was the dividing mark that we used last week for women. And Paul considered himself to be an elder, elder, and that he was probably in his 60s at this time. He would have been considered older. Timothy is considered to be young. He's a pastor. Titus is probably even younger than Timothy. And so maybe in the 30s. Could be 20s, but probably, probably maybe 30s. I don't know. Uh, but we looked at that in First Timothy 5 and kind of discussed uh, the widows, if they, they were considered older, if they were over 60 years old. So there's a dividing line. Uh, but like we say, um, it's still for all of us. Now, if, if you are under 60, doesn't that make you feel good? Because you're considered younger here today. Isn't that good? And you can say, I'm over 60. Well, don't feel bad. Because thus, says the Lord, we are getting closer to Him. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? And of course, that's what we all want. Don't feel too bad about getting closer to see the Lord. But if you feel young, no matter what age you have here, this is for you. And so therefore, I don't care how you feel, this is still for you. (laughs) Whether you are young and you don't feel young, okay? It's for you. A lot of times you don't really get into a lot of texts that talk about young men. And the younger generation, we talked about the younger women, the younger generation is what's following up the older generation, obviously. But there are less younger people in the body of Christ today, I think, than ever before. Because I think the older generation that used to be younger dropped the ball. And I think the theology and preaching and teaching of the Word 
which should be the emphasis of the church, was dropped long ago. And as you do that, you have no interest in the young people. They leave. They, they leave by the droves. And it's, we can't blame it on the colleges because they have professors there that turn people around within the first week, those so-called Christians. Although I, I do not approve of what they're saying and doing there, but the problem is, is way back, it goes back to home. They're not grounded. They're not sound in their theology. We have the truth above all. I don't care how smart those professors are. Some are and some think they are and they're not. Or they do not have any smarts about about who the truth is if they don't know Christ. And I don't care who you are, how young you are, if you know Jesus Christ, you have things here that they never know. That they will never know unless they are changed and their hearts are changed. So we desperately, and get this, we desperately need you young men we desperately need you to carry on the very legacy that God has given us. Amen? We need that to keep on, whether we're here or not. Right, right now, we, we need you. We need you bad. And you can make an impact on people, an impact on younger people, especially. The people out there, the people that are your age or somewhere in that vicinity, they don't know Christ like you did. Many of them don't. They might profess to be Christian. They might go to church sometimes. They might say they're a Christian, but you never hear anything else about Christ when you're around them. You can make an impact on that generation. And that's exactly what Paul is pointing Titus to do. To make sure to get this to them so they can do that. That generation needs your testimony. So if you're 2 to 92, the generation out there needs it. Uh, We certainly think of younger men being virile and strong and healthy, right? They're, They're aggressive. They have ambition. And they should have. They should have those those bright hopes. They're good traits to have. And and men are given those for a reason. God puts them there. The only thing is, just like anything else, even though certain things can be positives, those very same positives can also be disadvantages. We have to be very careful. Those characteristics can be dangerous. As young men are strong and virile and they're ready to take on the world, you know, like the, the, the young bucks, and they're ready to do it. But it says in Psalm 25, 7, as he's speaking to the Lord, do not remember the sins of my youth. <laughs> you know, a lot of us uh, who are older probably remember many, many mistakes that we made in the days of our youth. And oh, if we could go back Race those years. <laughs> Some of those terrible mistakes we did. We look back at it and I'll say, how could I have been so stupid? Why was I that way? That's kind of interesting. We, uh, Bob and myself and a couple other guys from Millersburg Baptist Church have been having the privilege of being able to meet together. And it's really, really good because we're able to share some things as uh, being 
young men. <laughs> and it, within a month or so, <laughs> we, uh, a couple of us may not be so young anymore because uh, of a certain age. <laughs> I just gave it away, didn't I? Sorry about that, Ron. No. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> but it's funny, we've been dealing with the Proverbs. And how often have we come upon this? And it just struck us. You know, we, we're dealing with, you know, of course, wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, you know, we've got the whole, our whole lives ahead of us. And nothing is going to stop us when we're at that age. We're going to do what we're going to do. We don't care. We don't care what anybody else says. And so we made some choices. And we were all kind of relating to that. And uh, it's like, you know what? When we have those kind of things and we can just remember, hey, you know what? It is wise for young people to listen to older people when they say, hey, listen, I can save you a few bad steps here. I can save you some wasted time and a lot of effort and bad mistakes. You don't want to go down that line. I've been there. I know others have been there. And I want to tell you, you don't want to go. Because it will fail you every time. And that, that can be many different directions. You, you, you're probably thinking of a whole bunch of them right now. Each one of you probably have a whole bunch of different ones. If I said, put it down on a piece of paper, fire them up here, and everybody would say, yeah, yeah, I can identify with that. Well, you know, we all came from different backgrounds. And a lot of us became Christians later in life. And I know that every one of you that came much later in life will tell me that, and, and I, I'm, I'm the same line there, um, what did I do with all those years? I wasted them. But thank the Lord, because of His grace, He still uses those years, doesn't He? And he, even though we can say, man, I could have been... Look what I should have been doing. But don't dwell on that. You can say, yeah, well, thank the Lord He brought me out of that. And it was in His timing when He called you anyway. So that's a blessing, isn't it? At the same time, we go, okay, here's what it is. You know what? You can use that and direct that to younger people and say, hey, here's, here's what can happen. I just, want, I just want to tell you, you know, out of love that um, you've got to be careful. Be careful. Watch out. Use wisdom. So this is what Titus tells them to be. This is what Paul tells Titus to tell the younger men. Urge the young men to be sensible. Sensible. Now that's a word that we have come across several times in this text. The word is so... Ronane. Sophronane. So can be dealing with uh, wise. Proneo is dealing with the mind or the brain thinking. It's wise thinking. Uh, of course, that you've heard of sophomore, right? So, of course, you think of... Uh, uh, the idea of a sophomore who thinks he's wise and he's really not, you know, and it's funny they, they have that word. So that word comes from the Greek. I've used that many times. But there's a book. Uh, by the way, that word, I think we can, we can sum it up. Sensible, uh, it's a good word in the English, or self-control. 
to be out of the Greek there. To have self, self-control. You tell the younger men to have self-control. Why? Because they have a lot of attributes, strength, and you know they, they want to conquer the world. That's good. There's things we can do, you know. But control them. There's a book called Over the Edge. And it chronicles all the deaths at the Grand Canyon. It's really quite a fascinating book because the author concludes that the most vulnerable group at the Grand Canyon is, guess who? Young men. They want to, they want to go a little bit further. They want to do things that are menly things to do, manly things to do, right? They think they're invincible. They're not going to die. They're not going to get hurt. You've seen some of the daredevil activities that, that they do. Have you ever watched YouTube and seen some of the crazy things they do? Or how about, um, what is it, the, the uh, America's Funniest Videos? you ever seen some of the craziest things some people do? Whether it be four-wheelers or you name it. You know, the, of course, the diving from who knows how far up, 20 feet into a little bitty swimming pool, you know, one of those... <laughs> You know, one after another, you see them do just crazy things. Uh, of course, there are a lot of older people that do the same thing. That's a real question. <laughs> but to prove their bravado, uh, they do foolish things. Extreme. That's a key word, isn't it? The X Games. Extreme games. Or in the canyon, in the Grand Canyon, there are extreme conditions that take the toll of these young lives. These young men who do that are not sensible. They're not sophronine. They're not self-controlling here. So if this word has appeared so frequently, dealing with under control, control the appetites, control the desires, control all those longings, harness them, bring them in. Those are good things, but don't let them be... Sticking out and going crazy, you know. Uh, we want to be godly. We want to be Christ-like. Have ourselves under control. Uh, if we were to look at chapter one, verse eight, we'll see that word. Look at this. This is to the elders. But hospitable, loving what is good, sensible. There's that word. Elders are to be sensible. It's not just young men, right? Chapter two, verse two. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible. Verse four. So that they may encourage, this is older women, the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible. Sensible. So that would be the older women, be the younger women. Encourage that on. Uh, verse 12. Instructing us to deny godliness, ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly. That's one, two, three, four times. Sensible, sensible. Look in Proverbs 16.32. It's a key word. Key word for all of us. So definitely the, the younger men want to be sensible. Proverbs 16.32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. You're mightier than anybody who can overtake a city, that can capture a city, if you can rule your spirit. 
or have self-control, to be sensible. That is a mighty virtue, to have control of self. Boy, some of those things kids do today, they only were able to have self-control on some things rather than trying to be the coolest guy around, right? The Daredevils. First Peter 5.5. 5. Many of them get into much trouble. Too. First Peter 5.5 5 says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. There he says, be subject to your elders. And that's not just the pastor elder of the church. It's talking about anybody that's older than you. Be subject to them. Um, you want to file in rank underneath them, knowing that they have wisdom to give. And, and uh, so listen out of that. Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty-two. Now flee from youthful lust. This is Paul writing to Timothy, who's young. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What does he say? Flee from those youthful lusts. When those uh, have the opportunity, uh, run like Joseph. Get out of there when you know that something is, is wrong. That's, that's not, not sensible. So, there is the first part of our text today. Likewise, urge young men to be sensible. Now he moves on. There's a transition, but it's really not. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. It's like he's turning back to Titus. Says, okay, no, Titus, you've got to be an example. But he's saying, be an example to them so they can be an example. Here's what you have to do. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds. The word for example there is tupos. Or we get the word type. And remember the old typewriters? You'd type and it'd make an imprint on there. And uh, that is the idea in this word here, to, to be an imprint. Uh, in John 20, 25, you remember Jesus and you have Thomas. And you remember the nails in the hand dip? You remember that part? John 20, 25, he uses that word. We have, uh, so the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Thomas says, Unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, the imprint, the tupas, something that had been struck into his hand. Of course, we know that he had uh, the nails there. He wanted to see what was left over, if, if that really was, was him. Um, it's the word for a mold, um, a pattern, uh, to cut a die, right? Something you trace over, to imprint, to impress. We all are living imprints of these virtues. He says, Titus, I want you to be a living imprint so that others can go right into that footprint as you walk, that they'll walk right there uh, in your steps. Um, Charles Spurgeon. Most of you know Charles Spurgeon. And if you don't, shame on you. <laughs> he goes back to the 1800s in London. Uh, God blessed his ministry 
in an incredible way. And he's probably the most quoted preacher of them all. He's considered to be a prince of preachers. It's amazing the crowds that came out where he was at. He had to keep moving to different churches to expand it. I mean, there would have been who knows how many thousands and thousands had they had a big enough place. Uh, as many as 20, 25,000 people would come and hear him preach. Now, what's interesting is that he began preaching at 17 years old. That's hard for me to imagine. You know what I was doing at 17? I had no idea. <laughs> I was just getting, just trying to get through high school. Play a little basketball, play a little baseball, play a little guitar. I, I really had no aim. I didn't know what I was shooting for. Had, had I been directed to show that the gospel is all about life, had I really grasped a hold of that, I'm not blaming anybody on that. I, I was raised up uh, with a, in a household that believed in Christ and taught those things. Um, but for some reason, I had other things on my mind. But I sure wasn't thinking about preaching in a, in a church at 17 years old. I wasn't thinking about preaching in a church at any time. I wasn't thinking about even really reading the Bible except for Sunday morning just before my Sunday school class. Was I going at that time? I think I, I kept going yeah, for a while. Huh. But, you know... Had somebody told me I'd be doing what I'm doing now, I would have said, you are nuts. There is no way. To go to church for one hour was was enough for me. But to do this? But what does that all that mean? Well, Charles Spurgeon was an incredible person that God blessed in a huge way. And there really aren't other Charles Spurgeons running around. There was one Charles Spurgeon. And he also was gifted with um, speed reading and a memory that was photographic. He could read a book in, in a short amount of time, books this thick. It wouldn't take him a day to read a book that thick. He read Puritan books. Puritan books. They, my goodness, Puritan books have more in their title than common books today. <laughs> you read those books and then you'd ask him what it would be about and he could tell you verbatim, word for word, what was on a particular page. Page 295, down the middle of it there, boom, he could tell you exactly what it said. Nobody has those kind of minds unless God blesses them with that and the ministry that he had. So... Uh, it is not wise. I don't advise young men at 17, 18, 19, 20 even to go out and preach and get you a church. Uh, get grounded and get solid. I'll encourage you to preach the Word and teach it. But uh, don't be taking over a church unless God has made you something super special. And Unless you're a Charles Spurgeon, just bide your time. As time goes on, God will put you in that place. But have those desires. 
there's there's too many that that go out and they try to do it for a while and they have no idea what they're getting into and uh, they don't know the cost that it is anyway in um, in this section here he's telling these young men to be followers hey follow Titus Titus be an example Titus you tell others to follow you I tell others to follow me, Paul says. Look in 1 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, I exhort you, Corinthians, Corinthians, be imitators of me. Follow my example. Follow my footsteps. Imitate me. Mimic me. I think that's Greek word. Look in chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Boy, that sounds awful prideful and boastful of Paul. Hey, you imitate me and you follow me. How righteous are you, Paul? Well, he can do that because he is committed to God's Word and he lives it out. And not only should Paul be saying that, but Titus is to be saying that. And then the rest of the church, the rest of the church has done that for 2,000 years. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Imitate me. We, if we use those words today, it probably can be taken wrong, but just be an example to people and show them how to get there without making mistakes. Follow me and, and we'll go the right way here. Philippians, you know what? Boy, that really makes you accountable, doesn't it? <laughs> and I know people say, hey, listen, you do what I... What? I tell you, but don't do what I do. What is it? Do as I say, not yeah. as I do. There you go. Exactly. How often we heard, we don't have the right to do that. No. They must follow what we're doing. If you want your children, or if you want people to be solid Christians, then you get up and walk that way. We don't have an option. That's what we are to do. Philippians 3.17 Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Pattern, example, same thing. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse nine. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. My, Paul has it everywhere, doesn't he? He just mentions it all through these epistles. Follow me. He knew he was following Christ so he could say, follow me and have others follow you. Look in Hebrews 13, verse 7. Follow me. We all should have people following us because we're following Christ. Remember those who led you. 
who spoke the word of God to you. And considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Boy, does that sum it up? People who led you, they spoke the word of God to you. That's how they lead. That's how we are to lead. We lead with the word of God. So the older women, as they set the example and show the Word of God in their lives, younger women follow. The older men teaching the younger men. Parents teaching their children. Wow, there's a double whammy, isn't it? You know what? Kids don't have to sow those wild oats, do they? You know what? It's never meant in Scripture for children who grow up uh, and they get in their 20s and sow the wild oats as soon as they get out of high school. Sow the wild oats. What in the world is that? That's uh, reaping the whirlwind of the world's psychology. That's their teaching. Never in Scripture are we given a pass to sin. And people say, well, he just got to go out and sow his wild oats. Don't you hate that? That is not scriptural at all. Where do they get that? After only one verse here, the subject here now is Titus, but also it's to young men, and it is to all of us the example in good deeds. Take heed of what Titus does, you Cretan younger men. Do what he does. He's an example. Uh, Titus, you confront them with the pattern of your own life so that they can copy. It's just like, remember tracing? I used to love to trace pictures. Man, I'm the worst um, artist in the world. I mean, I, I couldn't even draw stick figures. But man, if you put, give me a little bit of, uh, of that really thin paper put on there, I could just spend all day you know, drawing those beautiful pictures. That there's an example there, following that, a copy. Exhortation without example, though, is, you know what called? Hypocrisy. A hypocrite. Exactly. You must have that. Now, he says, example of good deeds. Good deeds. Ephesians 2.10. Those good deeds were prepared beforehand. Those are works that were prepared before the foundation of the world that we are to do. God has given us all different works to do and as time goes on, we'll see more works that we do in this life and God foreordained those beforehand. That's incredible thought. So He gives us these deeds in time and in space. We do those. The good deeds are done in obedience to include everything. Just listening to people. You say, that's a good deed? Yeah. It's showing you care about it. It's talking to people. Um, prayer. Praying with people. Praying for people. All those spiritual kind of activities that amount to practical things. All of those are, are um, ministries. Um, now, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. We can now contrast that with the people who are not an example of good deeds in verse 16 of chapter 1. Remember, there were false teachers all over the churches in Crete. They professed to know God, but by their deeds, they deny Him. 
their very living, their disobedience, the things that they did, it showed that they really weren't real by their deeds. You are to be a pattern of righteousness in every single thing you do and don't be like the ones who show their deeds to actually deny Jesus Christ. Your life is to be full of righteous, holy, godly living by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. Now the next one, Example of good deeds with, what's the next phrase? Purity in sound doctrine. That means to be not corrupted. It means to be imperishable. It means to be untainted. Titus, you are to be an example of uncorruptness. The idea here would be dealing with moral filth. Boy, do they have it in Crete. Remember? Remember the context? Crete is a picture of what we live in today. It's moral filth that we live in. And uh, so he says, Titus, don't you be a part of that corruption. As you teach a word, make sure you do it without any kind of corruption that's in your life. Right? What's it going to mean when you preach the word or uh, say biblical things, but you're not living? And so we just keep hammering that don't we? pure in doctrine. Go to Psalm 119. All by the grace of God, though. It's not our own works, is it? Thank the Lord. Psalm 119, 9 and 10. Longest chapter in the Bible. How can a young man keep his way pure? Good question, right? How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. That's how a young man stays pure. Boy, young men need to be taught this, don't they? Everybody needs to be taught this, but to, to be given to you want to stay pure, and the only way you're really going to stay pure is this word. Word of God. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Right? I don't want to wander there. Second Corinthians two, seventeen. For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. So as he's preaching and teaching the Word of God, we're not peddling it. Um, we're keeping it pure. Sincerity. It's all from sincerity. It's in the sight of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God. So their lives back up what the Word of God is. So we really, as a Christian, as a Christian, now we have the choice to live an obedient life living out the Word of God. Or we can disobey and dishonor God and reap the whirlwind while sowing the wild oats. Right? Boy, this kind of wisdom. Don't you kind of wish that you'd had this kind of stuff when you were younger and wouldn't have had to learn through the school of hard knocks. But isn't it nice now? It really speaks, doesn't it? 
And Paul knows that. Titus knows that. And he wants to make sure those young men of Crete, that they sure know what this means, what this is about. Next is the word dignified. Dignified. Simnates. It's a seriousness. Being serious that brings a respect. Uh, look in First Timothy chapter three. Being, and that's not to say you can't have humor and, and fun. You know, we're not saying that. But also, when the time comes to be serious and serious about God's word, then it's time to to do that. In three, eight, deacons likewise must be men of dignity. Well, there it says deacons. Yeah, deacons are to be dignified. Does that mean everybody else don't have to be dignified? (laughs) You notice all of these qualities that are for all of us, even the elders' qualities, but they have to be even risen, make sure that there are none of those that are sticking out. And uh, these really have to be true in our lives. Verse 11 of chapter 3, women must likewise be dignified, simnates, in our culture, it seems that uh, the culture is driven by entertainment and everything has to be a ha-ha joke. It all has to be funny all the time. Sometimes there are, and a lot of times there are times to be serious. And I never want to take away uh, humor and the fun that a Christian has because we, above all people in the world, have joy and we should be able to laugh and enjoy that and have fun. Just enjoy life. But at the same time, we have to have a mature understanding and not only be quiet about certain things, but sometimes to talk to other people, whether they be other Christians. Young men, sometimes it would be great if they just sat around and started talking about things like life, death, eternity. Some of those things are really serious, aren't they? They are very serious. When you talk about death and life, eternity. But you know, those things are good to be speaking of because those are the deep things of God. And so, one who is dignified is one who would be in that sense. Now we go on to Titus. And it says in verse 8, Sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Speech. That's your conversation. It's what comes out of the mouth. Of course, what comes out of the mouth is what's going to come out of the heart. It's talking about our everyday speech. Be careful of the language that's out there. Certain words I have noticed have crept into even church people today. Words that were on the list that could never be on television and in the movies. And I'm hearing those words. They're bathroom terms. And I'm hearing it from Christians. And I'm going, what gives you the right to say it now when when you were a kid you would have had soap in your mouth? (laughs) Why are those words being used and it's cool now? He says sound in speech. Everyday speech. The word is logos. And there it's um, just the, the ordinary kind of that you would demonstrate. He's mentioned that before in Titus. You go to Ephesians 4.29 and it 
says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. Why? This is beautiful. So that it will give grace to those who hear. So everything is really meant for edification. Wow. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 3 and 4. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Using the mouth wise. Colossians 4, 6. Do you remember that? We did that just a few weeks ago, actually, when we were in Colossians. I think it says a lot too. Let your speech always be with what? Grace. And then you like the next phrase, as seasoned with salt. So that you'll know how you should respond to each person. You want to be able to give truth, but you want to be able to give it with grace. Truth and love, right? And using those words that are glorifying God. Sound and speech beyond reproach. Unable to be accused by anyone. So that the opponent would not be, uh, so that he would be put to shame. When you have opponents and they attack the gospel and they attack what you believe, they attack the character of a Christian, they even question it, and you know that your character still stands true no matter what they're saying. They don't have a shred of evidence, no substance to what they're saying about you, to their uh, accusations, so that others would see false charges that what they're saying about you is really not true, even if they say those things. That they would be put to shame when it's ultimately come to that. If you take a stand for Christ, you are going to be an object of an attack. It will be against your character. People will say things about you and your beliefs. They will make fun of you. Ungodly people are threatened by those who not only proclaim the Gospel but live it out as the example. People don't like that. Make sure that there's nothing in your life, Titus, and in those young men, and everybody else, that is above reproach. Nothing in your life that would bring shame to the Gospel. Right? Now it might be past things. Those things are done. We're talking about now. You know, Living as a Christian, right? Bring, we don't want to bring the Gospel... To, to shame. There's the light is shining. No. Okay. So that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. We've done 6 through 8. Now, 9 and 10, we are going to do a rocket tour on 9 and 10. And the reason being is we're out of time. <laughs> but number 2, I wasn't going to spend any time much on it anyway because this is dealing with bond slaves, and not that it doesn't apply. We usually uh, apply it to employment. And so that's why we have the E word, employment, here. Young men have jobs. Older men have jobs. Younger Some don't have jobs. <laughs> but in case you do have a job, praise the Lord. And... Take this as the bond slave thing. I'm not going to go into the culture. We did Titus. And 
in Titus, we saw the same kind of thing, basically. And we spent a little bit of time on that. So, um, that's why I'm not really going to spend any time on it. Let your light shine in your workplace. If you're not at home during the week, the chances are you're usually home at night and you work during the day or vice versa. But you spend a lot of hours at work. So this would be good, not only for the young men, but everybody else. Urge bond slaves to be subject. Uh, You employees, be subject to your employers. Uh, Then he says, well-pleasing. Our ultimate object is to please Christ. But remember, while you're there, you please Christ by pleasing your boss. You don't know my boss. Well, yeah, I probably do. He's probably the worst individual that has ever lived in Jefferson City. Because you all have had those bosses, and most people are not too fond of their bosses, but this is what it says. Not argumentative. It's wrong to oppose the boss or hassle the boss. What kind of uh, example are we going to set if we do that, right? So it's compliance without arguing should be what a Christian looks at. Loyal and trustworthy shouldn't be uh, taking anything, obviously. Uh, You seek to help your boss and make the company prosper and succeed. And then the last phrase um, will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. This is how we wrap it up. We'll wrap it up for all of us. Wrap it up with younger men as we've emphasized that, but we know here it's to all of us. All of us is. Christians should order their lives. And that word for adorn, uh, how many know what cosmology or cosmos is? It's the world, right? And it's arranged order. Um, cosmetics to arrange your face. <laughs> so that it, it uh, can be beautiful. Cosmeo means to arrange in an orderly manner to enhance beauty. To enhance that. Adorn that. To make attractive. Make yourselves attractive. Make yourselves attractive physically, but more so make your self-attractive inwardly, spiritually, adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. Adorning it. All part. Putting it in order to make attractive. How will it make others think about the Savior that you profess to follow? Do they know about it? Well, they should. Your life must be the very foundation of any verbal witness. If your life is not an example of godliness, as Paul spells out here, don't let anyone know about it. (laughs) You're just going to be doing the church a disfavor. If you're living an ungodly life and you say you're a Christian, boy, that really does does wonders, doesn't it? And sometimes I've heard where Christians have spoken up things and their lives just were horrendous. And I was saying to myself, would you just shut up? You're embarrassing the church. Unbelievers can tell that. What we're saying is, order your life to the doctrine that is so true, very foundation. We have to remember that we're to be obedient. And I sum this all up and wrap it up. This is not a legalistic 
message. And funny thing, in First Peter, we've been dealing with the blessings that God has given us, and there's a whole section from all the way to verse 12 in the first chapter that you have no commandments, you have no um, exhortations, commands. It's just enjoy. But in other places you have be this way. Be an example. Follow this. Do this. But these exhortations are never, I've got to get this thing together and start doing this right. I know I can do this. And it's never that, is it? It's all by the grace of God. For His glory, we do it because we know we're empowered. And it's only by that grace that we can do effort. It's never self-effort. Because the moment it is, it's not going to work. It'll never work. But relying on His very grace. And that's the way that we want to keep that in mind. Let's close the prayer.